0: Crime Café, where crime, suspense, and thriller fiction rule. I'm your host, Debbie Mack, and in a moment, I'll introduce my guest for this week. First, a reminder that the Crime Café 9 book set and Crime Café short story anthology will be coming out before the end of the year. So that'll make a great something to download onto your holiday e-reader. Okay, with that said, that little commercial out of the way, I'd like to introduce Allison Lyoda, a former sex crimes prosecutor who much like myself, switched from practicing law to writing about her former day job. Allison has uh, been called the female John Grisham. Not only that, but she does reality checks on shows like Law and Order SVU for the Huffington Post. And has a blog called the primetime crime review named by the american bar association as one of the best legal blogs in america uh, her latest novel the last good girl is the fifth in the anna curtis series and her goal is for john grisham to be dubbed the male allison Leoda. <laughs> <laughs> so with that I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show, Allison. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Debbie. Well, absolutely. It's a pleasure on my part. And um, I absolutely loved your latest book. Tell us a little about the story and about the character and how you developed it.
1: Sure, thank you. Well, it, it's the fifth book in the Anna Curtis series, as you said. Anna Curtis is a uh, sex crimes prosecutor hailing from Washington, D.C., uh, which is the same job that I had. Um, each book is kind of a standalone, so you could jump in anywhere. People who haven't read the first four in the series could jump right into The Last Good Girl. And this one, The Last Good Girl, is about the very heated issue of campus sex assaults and starts with the disappearance of a young woman from a, a fictional university and Anna is trying to track her down find out what happened to her hopefully before um, Before it's too late
0: Yes, it was very suspenseful Thank you And um, I was just gonna ask uh, Since this, uh, this was my first book in, in your series that I've read um, it sounds like you anyone can jump in anywhere they're more like standalones with the same character yeah they, they
1: are it's a series in that you can see uh, anna develop and grow over the 5 books but you could jump in anywhere a lot of people tell me oh i started with book number 3 and then i went to 5 then i jumped back to 2 and and i think uh, you can read those just fine in that order if if that's the way you know you end up getting them from your library or whatever what whatever mm-hmm. is uh, available to take out. I do try to make them so that anyone could jump in at any point and understand the, star- the story without having read anything else.
0: Is there a general direction that you're heading with the series in terms of the character development? Oh, that's a
1: that's an interesting question because right now uh, I have not done anything with Anna recently. So uh, if I was going to have a sixth book, I would have had to have written it by now. So I am looking at other horizons at the moment and seeing, uh, exploring some other stories. I'm letting Anna have a little rest. I've been, I've been pretty mean to Anna over the last several years, I have to say. You know, they say you should take your heroine, put her up in a tree and throw rocks at her. and, And she's had a lot of rocks thrown at her the last few years. So I'm letting her take a little break while I work on some, some other stuff.
0: I was going to ask about what that whether you had other series or standalones in mind to write. I have so many in mind. I
1: think the the question for me right now is which one? Which one am I going to do? I always find like that's the hardest question people often ask. Where do you get your ideas? And maybe <laughs> not so much where do you get them, but which one do you choose? There's I ideas. I think that out.
0: is so oh. true. Is absolutely- you know what it's <laughs> like,
1: Debbie. You know you have to choose this <laughs> world that you'll live in for a year or more as you write it. So. How do you know? How do you you know when it's the right story?
0: Very good point. Uh, Given that you did the work that your protagonist does, I'm sure a lot of people ask you if your stories are based on real cases. Hmm. How do you respond to that?
1: (laughs) Well, they're not based on real cases in that I haven't taken one case of mine and turned it into a novel. But what I try to do is take In a good story, I think of a really the most interesting story or interesting issue that I saw. And then I try to take all the most fascinating details from all of my cases and add them into that story so that a reader will get a real feel of what it's like to be a sex crimes prosecutor, to work in these courthouses. And I think in some ways those stories can be almost more true than the true story would because I can add in everything that uh, would happen in a number of cases.
0: I agree with you. Um, in fact, there was something on your bio that I liked so much that in one sentence really nailed it for me. I thought, um, let me see if I could read it. I wanted to create stories that would both entertain and teach about the way the criminal justice system works and doesn't work. Mm -hmm. For me, this sums up in one sentence why so many lawyers like to write about the legal profession. Mm -hmm. Right. It just, uh, one of the things that has always concerned me is that people seem to get the wrong idea about what it is lawyers do (laughs) and how the legal system doesn't work but they have the wrong ideas about how it doesn't work, if you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Right, right. Uh, can you talk about that a little and how you tried to change perceptions of, educate people through your fiction? Sure, yeah.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with what we watch on TV, all the C- CSIs and the SVUs and all the law and orders. And I think people get a, a very different impression of what they're going to see when they're jurors or what really happens in courtrooms and actually as a prosecutor we knew this we knew that the jury would come in having seen all this prime time crime drama and would expect things from you expect to see things that weren't necessarily going to happen and one of the biggest jobs as a prosecutor is to start off by aligning the jury's expectations with reality. I think the jury comes in, you know, watching CSI, and I think we just shine a black light on the crime scene, and ding, 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 we know who did it. Who, you know, we there's the perp, and why don't we just go bring him in? And in real life, some of the best uh, police work is done not with, you know, th- those black lights, but by a police officer with a notebook and some people skills. And uh, it, it's kind of educating the jury to listen for that. A lot mm-hmm. of times, it was talking about why there wouldn't be fingerprints on the gun. Everybody expects a fingerprint to be on the gun. Guns are like the last place you find fingerprints for a number of reasons. So it was, it was things like that.
0: Yes. Excuse me. Uh, Oh yeah. I love the way your protagonist is strong yet vulnerable at the same time. Mm -hmm. There was a part where she was in court and I have to tell you also i'm not big on courtroom scenes in fiction mm-hmm. but you use just enough to where i was like this is good well you know, thank I'm you more into the investigative process and mm-hmm. I courtroom scenes because mm-hmm. most of the time when most fiction writers do it they do it over the top perry mason style almost. <laughs> and it's like no 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 um so but i like the part where the prosecutor made some kind of point very very strongly, and she said something to herself like, "I knew that he was just doing his job, and I shouldn't take it personally." Mm-hmm. I felt personal, right? And it's funny how uh, people don't realize that lawyers have have feelings, <laughs> and that it's hard to believe sometimes, but we do <laughs> have feelings. And these two people the uh, sex crimes prosecutor and the defense attorney might very well get together for a drink after the, mm-hmm. the whole thing is over and just have a great time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that they're actually co-worker, you know, in a sense, peers, I guess. This is right, right. Rather than co-workers, but all lawyers have that kind of feeling of a bond. Mm-hmm. No matter how, Prof, you know what you have to do professionally. And that's something that I think your books really helped to bring out. Oh, that's it, nice. These thank are the books that I read. Mm-hmm. So thank love, you. I'm looking forward to reading more because I'm just loving it.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um yeah. the uh, a kind of weird coincidence I have to tell you. This morning I happened to catch the end of an old movie 12 Angry Men.
1: Oh, what a great movie.
0: Oh, uh, that's one of the best movies about law I've ever seen. Uh, it reminded me of how high a burden the uh, beyond a reasonable doubt standard is. Mm-hmm. And that it would be, I've always thought it would be very hard to be a prosecutor. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences as a prosecutor and how difficult it is to establish a good case?
1: Yeah, well that you have that burden that beyond a reasonable doubt burden and for good reason you have that burden you're asking the jury to send someone away to jail to take away their liberty. So the government should have a high burden in that case. If, if anyone ever prosecutes me, I, I will enjoy the benefit of that burden. You can't get put in jail just on a whim or a hunch or, or a, you know, a smidgen. It has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. But because it's so high that the government really has to prove it. And that can be hard in some cases especially sex crimes which generally are not crimes that take place in crowded restaurants there are generally not a lot of eyewitnesses to sex crimes and so that that burden it's challenging and you have to really be creative and sometimes in terms of how you're going to find evidence to prove that what what the victim says happened is is actually what happened and then on top of that dealing with sex crimes domestic violence these are um crimes where it's not just about the law, it's about social work. um, Helping the victim is so important. and, And a lot of times it's almost as important as getting the person in the perpetrator in jail is helping the victim be able to continue on with his or her life in in a way where they're not going to fall right back into the same pattern again, especially in domestic violence cases. And in sex crime cases, to the, that healing process is so important. And the criminal justice system and the healing process are intertwined with each other, but require very, very different skills. So. As a lawyer, my job is to to meet that burden, but I work very close I would work very closely with advocates, basically counselors who um, are dealing with the healing part of it and, and finding resources for the victim and helping them out in that way
0: Wow very interesting. Um, another one of the concerns that I have these days is about social media right and uh, what used to be called trial by press has mm-hmm. seems to be morphing into trial by, for lack of a better term, social media think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, trial by Twitter? Yeah, trial by Twitter. Um, it's It almost seems like it would be especially hard in an area like murder or sex crimes. What are your thoughts on kind of the dangers of social media when it comes to uh affecting finding really an impartial jury mm-hmm. is an impartial judge
1: yeah it is it, it definitely changes the jury pool in terms of what they see and hear before they even reach the courtroom but it also changes the way that crimes are perpetrated and crimes are investigated a lot of crimes now are happening on social media. Pictures are taken and shared, on, you know, on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. And if it's a picture of an, uh, an underage girl without a clothes on, that's a crime right there. Just sharing that picture, and finding that finding that picture is a different job, a very different job for an investigator than finding uh someone who you know is beating up his wife in their house it's it's you know it requires a whole different set of skills and a different way of looking in the world so it's it's kind of changing everything how crimes happen how crimes are investigated and how uh jurors how just regular people look at crimes and evaluate them so it's really a fascinating time and i think a lot of people just like a lot of people are scrambling in the book world in terms of how do we publish books these days? What format are they in? Where are they being sold? That same sort of scramble is happening in criminal justice circles in terms of like, how do we prosecute crimes that are happening and leaving uh, digital trails in ways that, were, that didn't happen before?
0: That's very interesting. Very interesting point because just as an aside, when I wrote my first book, it was about identity theft. That was one of the issues. Right. And since it came out, so the safety has changed yeah. in a way that makes the guys in my book look like Mickey Mouse criminals. <laughs> um, so it's it's pretty astonishing what technology has done just over the last 20 years or. Yeah um, I always like to ask people this: if uh, somebody wanted to adapt your books into a screenplay, mm-hmm. Who could you picture playing Anna? Oh, uh,
1: anyone. I would be happy to have anyone play Anna. <laughs> Are you looking for a, a role, Debbie?
0: <laughs> Not a role necessarily, but perhaps material to, uh, to adapt because I do screenwriting. Oh, wow. Good for you.
1: Thank yeah. you. Uh, my mom and I have fun with this question sometimes, pouring over Us Weekly magazines, and uh, that, that's always uh, a good time, but uh, I, I think – i 'd be happy if anyone played her honestly <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not a single person comes to mind, huh
1: um, well all right i will I will say that uh, Ryle Reynolds company was looking at uh, at my books for a while to to turn them into a mini series with uh, some talk of Blake Lively playing Anna, and that was that gave me a small heart attack. I would be very, <laughs> very happy if Blake Lively ever wanted to play Anna. <laughs>
0: Well, that's awesome. Just the idea of having a mini-series based on your books is awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm about to have a coughing moment. <clears throat> okay, I think it's passed. <laughs> All
1: right, good,
0: hang in there. Um, is there anything else that you would like to, to tell listeners and about your books, about uh, your your former career as a lawyer? Would you encourage people to go to law school? Do you, any other f- thoughts at all?
1: This book, The Last Good Girl, is about college campus sex assaults. And I've written a number of blog posts recently about, um, you know, what to consider if you have a child going to college, if you're considering what college to pick, or if you just have like a, a young boy or young girl heading off their freshman year, uh, just kind of safety tips for them to think about. So I would say look those up too and, and you know, send those on to your college kids or your college friends and, and have them think about it uh the statistic is that one in five girls who start college their freshman year will be sexually assaulted before she leaves college um and so uh it to me that's that's just a horrifying and frightening number and anything we can do to bring that down is is a good thing so i hope that my book helps raise awareness i always like for my books to Entertain to like just grab you by the throat and not let you go till the end. But I also like to talk about issues that I think you know we should talk about and are are so important. And that's that's what this one's about. And I would just encourage people. I, I hope they like the book. I also hope um, it'll give them some insights into what's a really big and horrific problem in America today.
0: Well, that is a very laudable goal, both the um, the education and the entertaining. So yeah. I think that's fantastic. I think you do that in that book too. Thanks. Well,
1: that's what I love to do in my books. I really, I love a great story, but I also, I love a great story where after I'm done with it, I feel like I've learned something I didn't know before. And, and, mm-hmm. Um, and I hope when, after people read it, they'll, you know, they'll have something I, I think is important to say next time they go to a cocktail party or, you know, hang, hang out with their with their friends um, and, and talk about this, because I think it's a really important issue, especially facing women and girls.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that, that statistic you gave is astonishing. So yeah. um, I, I'm just glad you're you're doing this. uh, Well, thank you for helping. Thanks for doing the interview. It's my pleasure to do this, believe me. (laughs) So um, that will uh, take care of that then. And just one last reminder that um, the Crime Cafe Nine Book Set and Anthology will be up before the end of the year. God willing, and the creek don't rise, so to speak. (laughs) And I'd like to thank Allison Leota again for being a guest on the show. And uh, until two weeks from now, take care.